So I'm reading this book by Laurie Beth Jones entitled Jesus, the Life Coach. And uh, she's a life coach, uh, Laurie is, and she speaks to CEOs and executives around the country and actually around the world. And she said at these events, sometimes I am privately asked to explain the basis for my faith in Christ. So she said one day a speaker approached her and said, um, said this to her. She said, he said, I believe that God is a pure being. Yet I sense in you a calmness and a centeredness that I don't have. What is it? So she smiled and said, I too believe that God is a pure being. But I know that God knows my middle name and watches with great interest and love everything that I do. While you believe in God, I believe God believes in me. So he smiled and he said, wow, I want that. And she smiled back and said, all you need to do is ask. Let's pause right now. And ask this transcendent pure God who revealed himself through Jesus Christ with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The one who knows everything about us. Let's ask him to come and renew us with his presence. Let us pray. Lord, remind us of the privileges as your people to come to you in these moments. To confess our sins to receive forgiveness and to give it, to renew our fainting spirits, to rest in your promises. Open our eyes to see you, Lord. Open our ears to hear your word. Visit us through your Holy Spirit and allow your truth to take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everybody say amen again. Amen. All right, I like that. Good, strong. That was good. Let's everybody give a hearty amen. 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 Because God is here and he delights in our praise. You know, um, Evelyn Johnson came in this morning and uh, I hadn't seen Evelyn in a week or so and she's a sweetheart. And so I gave her a hug and then she showed me her hand. She's got a thing around her wrist and she has carpal tunnel. She was telling me that she's going to have to have surgery on that. And several of us have had surgery and have come through. Bird had surgery. And uh, so glad to see um, Roger here this morning. Roger's come through some really challenging um, surgery. In fact, um, Roger, I'm going to ask you to come up here right now. We want to have a special prayer for you. Come on up. And uh, they found a, a tumor. And um, he had successful surgery. Come on, family members. Come on up here, too. This is a family deal. Fernando, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laura, come on up. And uh, I went to visit Roger in the hospital. What an encouragement to just go and visit this man and see the joy of the Lord on his face, knowing that God is faithful. All right, so just face this way, and I'm going to ask a couple of us to come up, surround them in prayer, because... Uh, I think your words were, we've, we've got a, a battle ahead of us, but God is faithful. 
we believe in the power of prayer and in his presence right now. So we want to join your family and you in praying for God's divine intervention. Father, in Jesus' name right now, we thank you, Lord, that you are the God of deliverance and healing. And so you have asked us, in fact, you've invited us to come and bring our request to you. And so, Lord, we're bringing to you our dear brother. We thank you that here's a man who loves you and loves his fellow man, serves his community, serves his family diligently. And we lift him up to you now from the crown of his head through his entire body. Lord, we ask that you would bring health and recovery. And we thank you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, amen, and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap for his presence. Amen. Thank you, Roger. God bless you. God bless you. So we went and prayed with Bert, and uh, Evelyn told me she's going to have, she hasn't scheduled the surgery yet, but we'll be praying with her. And, huh? Is Mika here? Where? Did I miss her? Oh, oh. <laughs> hi, Mika. Bless you. And so, so good to see you. And um, it's just really good to wake up in the morning and to know that God is with us and that we can call on him no matter where we are. I love that. My mother, bless her heart in heaven now, but her life verse. And if you don't have a life verse, go into the Bible and get one. But my mother's life verse is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto the Lord and he will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. My life verse is Philippians 1 6 being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perform it will bring it to completion. And so it's good to just get into the word of God and seize a promise from the scripture and make it yours. I mean you can't own the Bible but David says, thy word have I hid, where? In my heart. Hide it in your heart. Let it take root in your life and watch what God will do. Anyway, we've been talking about the favor of God in the context of Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And last week we had some testimonies. I just want to take a minute. If uh, you have a testimony of your own personal growth, because the idea is that we don't want to come into the church and walk out the same way we came in. We want to grow. And now growth is a challenge because it challenges us out of our comfort zone. But kind of that's what God desires for, for us, to mold us into the image of his son. So I wonder, does anybody have a testimony this morning of an area where you have been saying, God, I am asking you to grow me in this area and you've been seeing God work in your life? Not in somebody else's life, but in your life. If you've seen something, I invite you to take a minute now. If there's a testimony, I'll just pause a second. And if you'd like to share, just come on up and tell us your name and what God's been doing in your life. Okay, we'll move on. We've been talking about favor, and it's the special affection of God toward you that releases influence on you so that others are inclined to like you or to cooperate with you. And because of God's favor, doors are open, opportunities present themselves, relationships are formed. Actually, enemies can be turned into advocates 
because of God's favor. So I was thinking about this and thinking about God's faithfulness and how he believes each one of us is important. Actually, I should have asked the worship team to sing that song. They're going to sing it after I preach, but he knows my name. Hmm. But uh, there's so many no-named or named but hardly remembered people in the Bible who had a big impact. Either we don't know their name or we heard the name once and it goes past us. But they had a big impact. God used them. And so I came across this verse in Mark 14 and it reads this. While he was in Bethany reclining at table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Notice it says a woman. Everybody say a woman. woman. It doesn't say what her name is. And I think on purpose that could be every woman, every person, every individual. God's not in the personality business. He only uses people who are famous or who have flash and charisma and all this and all that. No, he will take any man or any woman. So here is a woman who came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. That's what it says right there. She did what she could. Let's say that together. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. An amazing statement. Here we are thousands of years later still talking about this woman because she did what she could. Now, here's a probing question. What? If I did what I could, what if you did what you could? And let's say what I did was small and relatively insignificant. Or what if you made that phone call or became an usher, let's say, and gave an extra warm smile to every visitor who walked through the door? What if you volunteered to help the children in the nursery or volunteered to be a part of the group who goes out and feeds the homeless at the armory? What if I made that phone call to the person I sensed needed encouragement? What if I gave a second chance to that person in my family who has disappointed me and I've lost confidence in them? What if I did many small acts of kindness and nobody ever noticed? Nobody ever made a big deal about it. My sermon title is, I'm highly favored because I'm his chosen servant. Let's stand together and read the main text. Mark 3, verses 16 and 18. This should be the New Century version. Let's read together. These are the 12 men he chose. Simon, Jesus named him Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus named them Bonerges, 
which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about a man you probably know nothing about. In fact, I don't know much about him myself. But he was a part of a group, of a group more famous than the Beatles. You may never even heard his name. He did great things, but there's no record of them. He helped change many lives, but I can't tell you how. His name, Thaddeus. He was one of our Lord's 12 disciples. Now, we've all heard of, you know, Saddleback Church and Rick Warren and, and Joel Osteen and Charles Stanley and these major icons of ministry today. But what about, about Brother Smith, who has been faithfully pastoring the same 40 people for 20 years. What about Brother Johnson who went through seminary and has been paying his student loan for years while pastoring a congregation of 50 and working a full-time job? What about Pastor Rudy King who, by the way, last year the Covenant gave him an award for faithful service. He received that at our annual meeting in Chicago. Um, but he pastored in Wisconsin and Minnesota in small rural churches that never grew larger than 75. You see, I know Brother Rudy because Rudy was the pastor of one of the founding members of the church I planted in Portland, Brad Boleyn. See, Brad told me when he joined our church, I met Brad just as he graduated from North Park, he and his lovely wife, and told him the vision of our church, of a multi-ethnic church that we were beginning in Portland. He said, Pastor Henry, I want to join that church. And when we move back to, to Portland from Chicago, we're going to come to your church. And he did. And he became a very faithful member. They had two lovely children. He faithfully served our church. His oldest daughter right now is a student at, at North Park. Great family. But he told me that as I complimented on his devotion to God and as a family man, as a member of our church, he said, well, the reason why is because of my pastor. Pastor Rudy. I went through confirmation with Pastor Rudy. He helped me through my teenage years when I was trying to flip out, lost my mind. He prayed for me and mentored me and cared for me. Nobody hardly knows about Brother Rudy. I just know him because of Brad. Now here's the question. Are Brother Smith and Johnson and Pastor Rudy, uh, are they unsuccessful because they don't pastor large thriving churches hmm. I submit to you that if they are where God has put them and doing what God has called them to do then in God's eyes they're successful I just met uh, Glenn's brother John who's visiting from Dallas and uh, John used to live here in in California, Pasadena, I guess, and now he lives in Dallas. I said, well, how do you like Dallas? He said, well, I like it, and he told me why he likes it. And then I paused for a second, and I thought, you know what? The best place to be is where God has put you and to be faithful in that place. That's what God calls us 
to be faithful. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.23, in all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you are doing it for the Lord, not for people. Now, you could be the owner of a multi-million dollar corporation and not be successful in God's eyes. Or you may be the janitor of that same corporation doing what God told you to do and God says, you are successful. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The world may look at you as a failure or maybe not a failure, but the world may not even look at you. <laughs> you may be thinking, because the enemy is slick how he can whisper in our ears, well, you know, what you're doing is not that much anyway. Nobody really knows about it. And, uh, but you know what? God says you are special. And so I want to take some time this morning to look at Thaddeus' life and see that Jesus sees you as somebody special. Somebody that God has invested in. Somebody who has a plan. God has a plan for you. And so I want to look at this thought. I'm highly favored because I'm his chosen servant. I want to explore that with you this morning. I'm highly favored because I'm God's chosen servant. Let's say that together. I'm highly favored because I'm his chosen servant. First thing I would like you to see is that, number one, people may not know your name, but God knows it. God knows it. You know, in Matthew 10, 3, when you read the, the, the New Testament, they call him Lebeus. That's what he's called. In uh, Luke 6, he's called Judas, brother of James. In John 14, I love this, he's called Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> and of course, in Mark 3.18, the verse we read, he's called Thaddeus. You know, it's human nature. We want to be recognized for who we are. and We go to great lengths to stand out from the crowd and to be unique and different. In England, Prince William is the heir apparent to the throne. And I've heard Prince Harry, his brother, simply referred to as the spare. Can you imagine having that said about you? He's second class. He's only a spare in case something tra tragic happens to the chosen one. Now, obviously, nobody would want to be confused with Judas Iscariot, but we still want, wouldn't want to be referred to as the other one. But that's basically the case for Thaddeus. Throughout the Bible, you won't hear that Thaddeus preached a powerful sermon. You will not see him specifically healing someone who was sick. You will not read that he ever cast out a demon. But it's very possible, dare I say probable, that he did all of these things. Why do I say that? Because of what is recorded in Mark 6, and it says this, And he, Jesus, called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Now, Thaddeus may not have been Peter or James or John or Andrew. He may not have penned a gospel or written an epistle. And Basically, I want to submit to you, that's not what God had in mind for him. He didn't, he didn't want Thaddeus to be James or John or Andrew. You know what? He wanted Thaddeus to be Thaddeus. 
just that. When I first joined Young Life staff in, uh, in the Northwest in Seattle, Washington, I was the first full-time African-American staff uh, for Young Life in that region. And uh, that was in the 70s. And I was invited to speak at a core, many predominantly white Christian organizations during February. You say, well, why February, Pastor? Because February is Black History Month. <laughs> and, and they wanted me to be the Jesse Jackson of the Northwest and tell them how racist they were. So I tried to put on the mantle of a prophet, but that just wasn't me. You see, I could speak prophetically, and I've spoken prophetically to some of you and given you the word of God, and sometimes it's not always comfortable. But I am not basically a prophet. There are people who are called to be prophetic and have a prophetic ministry, not me. Uh, I tried to play that role, but it didn't fit. And then when I made the transition into traditional pastor, I, I tried to be the quintessential black preacher and hoop. I was trying to be another Martin Luther King Jr. And I tried doing that, and that wasn't me either. See, you may look at another preacher or teacher or singer or worker and say, you know, I wish I could be like them. And you try to imitate them. But that's not you. God has another path for you. It's a better path for you because it's God's path for you. Hmm. The world may not know your name. You may never see your name in light to go down in the history books. But friends, Jesus knows your name and what that is worth is more than the notoriety of any man. You're special. You are special in God's eyes, and he knows your name. Look at the person next to you, and with a twinkle in your eye, say, you are so special. <laughs> now, I recognize that when you say that to someone, it can have a double meaning. But really, each one of us, each one of us is unique and special. He knows your name because he chose you. I'm highly favored because I'm his chosen servant. People may not know your name, but Jesus does. As we move further, we'll see that people may not realize your worth, but Jesus does. Mark 3, 13 through 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. I always love that passage. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. You can't effectively evangelize someone or lead them to Christ or show them a better way unless you're with them. You've got to take some time. And when you take time to be with another person, guess what? you discover they have issues. Can somebody say amen? amen? And they discover you got some issues. You got shoes. I got shoes. All of God's people got issues. And he went up on the mountain, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power 
to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. For whatever reason, we don't have an in-depth record of Thaddeus' service as a disciple of Christ. But just the fact that he was chosen as one of the twelve shows us something. You know, right then in Jesus' ministry, he was ministering all over to the multitudes, to thousands. And out of the thousands that were following him, he only chose twelve. Thaddeus was one of those twelve. God chose him. That's the way, my friend, God thinks about you. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship. Another translation says, for we are God's artwork. Another translation says, for we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are special, and God thinks that way. He only selected 12 Thaddeus was one of them. Whatever your service, whatever the task Jesus has chosen for you, it's an honor to be chosen to serve. Don't let the world tell you that your place of service is insignificant. He's placed you as a teacher of that class to have an impact on those children and your co-workers in the break room. He's placed you as a mother, father, uncle, grandparent to those children so that you can show them the light he's put into your life. He's placed you in that office building to lead the person next to you to Christ. Whatever situation, he chose you to serve him. We all have a calling. And the question is, will you treasure that calling or will you take it for granted? Just a little added encouragement. Even before Jesus chose Thaddeus, he was special. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I mean, before we were in our mother's womb, God looked down and he saw who we are, would be, and can become, and he chose us. He said, but I don't, you know, I don't do it that, or I, ooh, or, uh, uh. God not only chose you, but he chose you because he loves you. He loved you enough to send Jesus to the cross to die for you. That's love. That's God saying you are special. People may not know your name. People may not recognize your worth, but Jesus does. And finally, number three, Where is number three? What does it say? People see your effort. You know, people don't see your effort. God sees your effort. They don't know about the hours of sacrifice. They don't know about the pain. They don't know about the self-doubt. They may not know about the burnout, but the call, my friends, is to be faithful to what God has called us to. You know why? Because in due time, he will reward us. I love these lists of the rewards he gives us about the crown of life. At the judgment seat, there will be crowns given to the faithful. 
There will be the incorruptible crown awarded for faithfulness to the Lord. The crown of life for the person who endures and overcomes temptation. The crown of rejoicing. This is the soul winner's crown. The crown of righteousness. This will be given to those who anticipate and live in the light of the return of Jesus. And the crown of glory. This will be given to the faithful ministers who give themselves to lead and feed the flock of God. So friends, we don't know much of the details of Thaddeus' life, but we know that he will get a reward treasured in heaven. Fox's book of records records that Thaddeus, or Jude, was crucified for his faith at Edessa in AD 72. Others believe that he was pierced with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Regardless of the method, it is commonly accepted that he was martyred for his faith in Christ. He was bold. He was faithful. He was somebody. So you think you're a nobody or you're insignificant? God says you are somebody and that's all that matters. Some of us get captured by the spectacular and the razzle-dazzle of big numbers and big events. But when God calls us, whatever he calls us to do, he calls us to be faithful. Several years ago, I was youth pastor of a church and uh, it was a large church. And uh, we had a large youth group. I was the associate pastor and the youth pastor. We had about 50, 75 kids coming to our meeting. And it was great. I mean, I loved it. We uh, took those kids to Mexico. We had a large choir that went with it called the Disciples. And we ministered around the city and other cities. We traveled. Um, we fed the homeless. We had big discipleship events. And it was great. I was there for three years. One day after one of the events, a young man came up to me and he said, he said, uh, Pastor Greenwich, can I talk to you? I went, whoa, first of all, that got my attention. You know, I mean, I was the associate pastor and the adults in the church, they, they called me, some of them would call me Pastor Greenwich or Pastor Henry, but most of the kids in the youth group, because I was a youth pastor, they called me by my first name, Henry. He didn't do that. He said, Pastor Greenwich. This is a high school senior. He said, I'd like to talk to you. Now, he, he was not, you know, the sharpest kid in the group. He would, didn't play on the basketball team. He wasn't a great musician. He wasn't tall, dark, and handsome. In fact, he stuttered a little bit. Uh, he grew up in a traditional black church, and so when he would pray, he, would, he had the affect of the traditional old black preacher and when he would pray in the group, some of the kids would snicker at him because he was so different. Anyway, he said to me, he said, Pastor Greenidge, I, I would like for you to mentor me. I, I, I want to go into the ministry. And by the way, just off the record or on the record, either way you want to look at it, I think we ought to have respect for the pastoral office. And uh, in public, uh, and this is especially important as we become more diversified. Uh, in traditional ethnic churches, you never call a pastor by his first name, never. In fact, it's considered an insult. And people would be offended by that. And in fact, when we started our church, because we had half Anglos, half blacks, some Latinos, we compromised. And so, okay, you don't call me Pastor Greenwich. And don't call me Henry. Call me Pastor Henry. And so that was a compromise. You can do whatever you want for whatever it's worth. Anyway, he said, Pastor Greenidge, 
I want to go into the ministry one day and I want you to mentor me. So when he first asked me that question, I was thinking, well, you know, I've kind of had a young life background. That's what I came out of. And I was used to meeting with eight to ten young men in a group. And, you know, we'd meet and have Bible studies. But here was just one guy. <laughs> and he wasn't even the leader type that I would have picked to meet with. And God said to me right there on the spot, meet with him. So every Tuesday morning, I'd pick him up at 6 o'clock at his house. And we'd go to McDonald's. And we'd have, each of us have an egg McMuffin and a glass of orange juice. And at that McDonald's shop, he would open his Bible. And we would read the word together. And we would pray. Just he and I. He graduated and I lost track of him. And about 10 years ago, I mean, I, we lived in the same city, so I heard he graduated and he went to community college. And it was kind of rough for him. And it took him a while and then he transferred over and he finally did graduate. Then the next thing I know, I heard he went to seminary. And then he got married. Married a woman with, who already had some children and made a beautiful family out of that. And now today he's an associate pastor of a church in Portland, faithfully serving God. You know, all that God ever asks of us, like the woman who broke the alabaster jar at Jesus' feet, is to do what you can. She did what she could. And God says when we do it, if we give a cup of cold water, we call somebody, who needs to be cheered up. If we meet somebody who's struggling with a physical illness and they need to be prayed for, and we in faith pray for them. If we invite somebody home for lunch. If we just look somebody in the eye and we shake their hand and call them by their name, the way they say their name. But we do it in Jesus' name. We've served him. And all God asks us to be is faithful and do what you can. And he'll reward you. Don't get weary in well-doing, my friend. I'll close with this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Would you say amen? amen? Let us pray. I have to be honest and tell you that there are times when I'm just amazed that God knows me and he still loves me. And even though at times I am faithless, he is always faithful. 
and he can take all my inconsistencies and doubts and fears and questions when I turn them over to him. And somehow he turns it around and he uses me and I'm just amazed. Where are you this morning? What's God speaking to you about? I challenge you to take some time and say, Lord, I'm going to I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. Thank you that you have that kind of confidence in me that you've chosen me. And I want to say yes to your will and yes to your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.